0: This message today is, is about honoring all women, uh, as we'll see through the Word, and we're at the end of the Gospels, and Jesus is appearing to different kinds of people, and one of the, the groups of people that Jesus appears to uh, is women, and, and I thought I, this would be a perfect time to do it on Mother's Day. And Before I um, get into that, I want to show you um, something that Paul wrote the Apostle Paul wrote a few letters to the churches, and and he also wrote to a young man named Timothy. And Timothy was a pastor, so I think they called him Pastor Timothy, or maybe they called him Elder Timothy or Brother Tim. I don't know. We have a lot of names for for men uh, in the church. But um, in this letter, Paul writes to Timothy, and he gives him some guidelines for church members. And I think you're going to find it interesting on Mother's Day. Either that or you're going to want to... Shoot me afterwards, but you'll get there. You'll see what I mean. So we'll look at verse 8 and 9 first. In First Timothy 2, verse 8, Paul says, I desire that in every place men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. And likewise, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair, gold, or pearls, or costly attire. And you read that and you wonder, was Paul really saying to you ladies, don't dress up for church? Was he saying this on on Mother's Day? Does Paul not understand Mother's Day? I mean, come on, Paul, what's wrong with you? It's the second biggest Sunday of of the year. We love to dress up on Mother's Day, especially when we tell you that we have a family photo opportunity. So, so... I assure you, as you'll see, Paul was not suggesting that we shouldn't dress up and, and wear our Sunday best on Mother's Day. Ladies, you can braid your hair, curl it, do the updos, all that fun stuff that you guys like to do. Put on your pearls and your gold and your silver and your necklaces and your bracelets and all that fun stuff that you like to and wear your most expensive dress on Mother's Day. Spray on the perfume like it was a two-for-one special. Just go for it. It's Mother's Day. It's not what Paul meant. But Paul said something else to women in the church, and you're not going to love this, ladies, but I'm going to read it so you understand why he wrote it. He says in verse 11, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. Now, this passage in the Bible is why many women do not like Paul. Paul, why would you say those things? And many people just like to cut out that part of the Bible. We're not going to read that. We're going to cross that off. Meanwhile, men are highlighting it. No, I'm just kidding. Is this not teaching equality? Is this degrading and demeaning to women? Um, that's what sometimes people think, and you might be thinking, why on earth, Pastor Matt, are you reading this on Mother's Day? What is wrong with you? You're not making any friends. But I wanted to do it because I wanted to get your attention. I want you to see that actually what Paul is writing heres You'll counter-cultural. You'll need to understand that, and I'm going to help you understand that. You see, women were not valued or honored like they are today when this was written 2,000 years ago. But Christians did honor women. And the reason why they did honor women is because Jesus showed them how. And I'm going to show you today how Jesus showed these disciples, showed all of us how we should honor women. Um, When Paul wrote verse 13, Adam was formed first, then Eve, he was talking about the roles that we have that were designed by God. A wife that submits to her husband never implied not equal. Never implied that. It, it, and it never will. We see that clearly in the Ten Commandments. One of the commandments is Exodus 20, verse 12. Are you familiar with the Ten Commandments? I like to call them the Big Ten since we're you know, in the Big Ten conference around here. But the Big Ten here is, uh, this one here is the Fifth Commandment. And it's verse 12, and it's honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. It doesn't say honor your father and just be nice to your mother. It says honor them equally. It puts them on equal standing. Honor your father and your mother. And I think the best verse to support what this really means to honor your father and your mother comes out of Leviticus 19. Verses one, two, and three, you'll see here, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, "Tell the whole congregation of the people of Israel say to them, "You shall be holy for the Lord I got, for I, the Lord your God, am holy." And then this is the verse, verse three: "Every one of you shall revere His mother and His father." Now that word "revere, I looked it up. It's a Hebrew word, yare. And it appears in the Bible, the word fear actually appears in the Bible 365 times, which is a significant number for us, once for every day of the year. But the word yare means to be afraid of, to fear, to stand in awe. How many of you had a mother growing up and you were afraid of her? You were were afraid. Yeah, be honest. We got a lot of, yeah, her bark was just as big as her bite. You know, you don't mess with mom, all right? But how many of you also had a mother that you were in awe of her? You were in awe of her. You respected her greatly. This is the understanding of this word yare. It's a a fear, but it's a healthy, reverent fear. How many of you um, have differing views or differing thoughts of your mom? That's okay. You can still honor your mother. I think it's significant that the Bible tells us to fear just two kinds of people. If you look up all 365 references to fear in the Bible, which I pretty much did, you will see that those references only say to fear two people, God and your parents. All the other times, it's fear—not this or them—or and we live in fear. A lot of us, a lot of times, we don't do things because we're afraid. And Paul, or, or the Bible, tells us, "Don't fear; fear not." But we are to fear our parents, and we are to fear God. I think it's also interesting when you look at the Ten Commandments that that fifth commandment, to honor your father and your mother. When we look at the Ten Commandments, and maybe you've done this before, you've done a little study of the Ten Commandments, the first four, sometimes we group them in the first four, which pertain to God, and then the last six, which pertain to other people. The first four are, you shall have no other gods before me, no graven images, don't take the Lord's name in vain, and honor the Sabbath day. Those all pertain to God. But then the last six... Honor your father and mother. Don't commit adultery, murder, steal, lie, or covet. We group those together and say they're about others. But the Israelites didn't do that. They split the ten exactly in half. They said honor your mother and your father is the same thing as honoring God. It's a a reverence. They go together. Even if mom or dad let you down a hundred times, even if you didn't always like their parenting abilities, God says, honor them, and you're honoring me. And that could really change some things for us. Maybe as we we look at our parents, and I'm sure if you're a parent today and your child is nearby, you might be giving him the elbow. But if we honor our parents as if we are honoring God, The Bible tells us many places you're going to be rewarded for that. I mean, the command itself, honor your father and mother so your days will go well with you. But then you look in the book book of Proverbs. How many of you read the Proverbs regularly? It's a a wise thing to do. The wisest man ever wrote many of the Proverbs. Solomon, And he's given wisdom to his son when he writes it. And he says 17 times in the Proverbs, we are told to fear the Lord and good things will happen. Understand how to, how to reverence the Lord, fear the Lord, and good things will happen. Proverbs 22.4, for example, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Boy, if, if, if our young people could just see that get-rich-quick schemes uh, are not as valuable as fearing the Lord and being humble, they would really get rich and honor in life. So you fear the Lord, I believe, when you honor your parents equally. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's what God's Word teaches us from the Ten Commandments, from the beginning and on. So then you just have to ask yourself this question. If teaching like that was ingrained into a Jewish family, because the Jewish people are God's chosen people through the Old Testament, they were called the Israelites, and if that was the teaching, if that's what they learned in their family then how on earth, when Jesus walked on the earth 2,000 years ago, how did they get into a place, a culture, in which women were second-class citizens, women were treated as property rather than people? How did that happen? How did they get to that point? It's been said that a Jewish rabbi would begin a temple meeting by praying, Blessed art thou, O Lord, for thou have not made me a woman. Can you imagine a pastor or someone saying that? Crazy. When Jesus walked the earth, a wife could not divorce her husband, but a husband could divorce her wife, his wife for any reason and never pay a dime of alimony. Women were excluded from public religious life, rarely taught the Torah. They could enter the temple but could not go past the court of women. A man could never, would never talk to a woman in public other than his wife, and that was even rare. And wives would often walk behind their husband instead of side by side, holding hands. So there's this this oppression of women at the time of Jesus that wasn't God's plan, but it was accepted in the culture. And then Jesus comes into the world, and he defies the cultural norms, and he stands up for women. And I want to show you how he did that. Would that be okay if I showed you how Jesus honored women? It began with his mother. And it began with mom. When Jesus was 12 years old, three instances I'll share with you. When Jesus was 12, his family went to Jerusalem for the Passover. And he stayed behind in the temple. And you might recall me telling this story before. you heard this story before. And and the whole family left Jerusalem. And they went in their Grand caravan, and uh, they headed off. Um, and um, they realized that we don't have Jesus, and so they <laughs> went back. When you lose the Son of God, you know you're in big trouble. So they headed back, and they're looking frantically for Jesus. And they finally find him. He's in the temple, he's teaching. He's 12 years old, and he's teaching, um, and he has this amazing understanding. And they are like, what, what, what's, what, why did you do this? Mary is very troubled. Why did... And Jesus explains, which they didn't quite grasp it, but what did Jesus do in response to his parents? It says in Luke 2, 51, which you have on the screen. He went with them back to Nazareth, and he was submissive to his parents. And his mother Mary treasured up all these things In her heart. Jesus, the Son of God, submitted to his mother, honored his mother. Then, just before Jesus began his ministry, before any miracles, he was at a wedding with the family in Cana. And at that wedding, they ran embarrassingly, they ran out of wine. And so Mary, Jesus' mother, said to him, Please do something. And he did it. He changed water into wine at this wedding to avoid embarrassment. But he did it for one reason. To honor his mother. His mother asked him to. He even said, my time's not come. I'm not ready to begin my ministry. But I will do it for you, Mom. I'll honor you. And that's what he did. Then in John 19, when he was on the cross, Minutes away from dying. He looked down and saw the people that were there. and One of them was his mother and the other one was John, the disciple. And he said to John, this is my mother. Take care of her. And he did. He took care of her. He took her into his home and he cared for her. Jesus never stopped honoring his mother. Every day he took care of her. Every day. We don't know what happened to Joseph. He's out of the picture. And so Jesus, the oldest, is taking care of mom, honoring his mother. And it didn't stop there, just with his mother. He honored women and some of the ones that the society would call outcasts. As you read through the Gospels, you'll see in the, the John chapter 4, there's this Samaritan woman who had been divorced five times and was living Uh, with a man that wasn't even her husband, and Jesus stopped and took the time to speak with her and then offered her forgiveness, something the other women wouldn't even do. She had to go to the well during the day when none of the other women were there. She was a total outcast, and Jesus spoke with her, something men didn't do, and he offered her forgiveness. Then there was the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, he didn't condemn her like everybody else did. He didn't accept her lifestyle, but he valued her greatly. And then there was another time at a men's only dinner where this sinful woman showed up and started to anoint his feet with this expensive perfume in and tear, and her tears. And the religious men were just appalled that Jesus didn't kick her away and get her out of there. Instead, he offered her forgiveness. Because Jesus honored all kinds of women. didn't matter what their past was. He was willing to forgive them, and he honored them. He also honored women's rights, where they're they're standing in society. And one time, Jesus had dinner with Mary and Martha. Now, note, ladies, I'm not going to mention on Mother's Day how Martha was too busy to do the right thing. Or maybe I just did, Sorry. But Martha had a sister named Mary, Luke 10, 39. And Mary didn't worry about all the stuff Martha was worried about. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus because she wanted to learn and worship Jesus. And Jesus commended her for doing that. And it's significant because, again, women were not allowed to learn from a rabbi. If they were lucky, they would have a husband who would teach them something. But here Jesus says, it's okay. Mary wants to learn. Let her learn. You see how wildly different that is than their culture. He honored her and wanted her to learn. Then there was a woman who was disabled for 18 years. 18 years disabled. And Jesus heals her on a Sabbath day, which, of course, upset all the religious men. uh, But verse 16, this is his response to them. He says, Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, and that's significant, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed on this Sabbath day? He calls this woman a daughter of Abraham. Puts her on the same level as the son of Abraham. See what he did there? He made them equal. He honored them because she was a daughter of Abraham, just like the men were sons of Abraham. He also honored women by accepting their financial support. And you might think, well, I should just warn the men not to let your wives know that Jesus accepted financial support, but just look at what he did here. verse eight, uh, Chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Jesus went through all the cities and villages in his ministry, proclaiming and bringing good news of the kingdom of God And who was with them but 12 disciples and some women. Women that were healed by evil spirits and and infirmities, like Mary called Magdalene. And there were uh, seven demons had gone out of her. And then there was this woman named Joanna. She was part of Herod's household manager. Then there was Susanna and many others. And these women provided for Jesus out of their means. And the disciples so that they could do this ministry. Now the reason why this is a big deal it's still kind of a big deal today in our culture. Men, I think, because God gave Adam work to do, I feel like men have this feeling of responsibility to care for their families, to provide for their families. Men, if you agree with me, say, Ugh, or something. <laughs> we just have that in us. We want to care for our families. And Luke points out, Jesus supported was supported by women. What kind of... Talk and ridicule happened behind his back by all the other men, supported by women. But Jesus gladly accepted their support, and by doing that, he honored them. He honored women's rights in many ways. And lastly, he honored their word. Their word. Because in that culture, a woman's testimony in the court of law was not valid. Not valid. He honored their word, though. Imagine something happens, you're you're a witness, ladies, you see the whole thing, but it's not valid, because you're a woman. But Jesus does something that's incredible. Who did Jesus visit first, after he rose from the dead? When you look up the occurrences in the Gospel, there's about seven different times where he appeared to people. And the very first person that we see he appears to is Mary Magdalene. And then, by the way, she's a former prostitute who had seven demons in her. Then there's Joanna, and then he appears to another Mary. By the way, there's a lot of Marys in the Bible. There's like six of them. Hard to get them straight sometimes. Jesus appears to women first, not men. If your goal is to prove that you rose from the dead, you don't appear to women, they can't testify. But he does. Why did he do that? To honor them. These are the women that supported the ministry. They walked with him, they loved him, and he loved them dearly. And by the way, This is one of the three reasons why you can trust the New Testament to be accurate. You can trust that the New Testament is not fiction and Jesus is not a legend. I was listening to one of my favorite guys, Tim Keller, share about this. He's an excellent writer and preacher. But he mentions three things that I want to share with you real quickly because I know there's always folks that come to church and they're skeptical Is the New Testament actually believable? Can we really believe that? Was Jesus real? I mean, is he he just a legend? Well, first of all, there's there's a, um, a problem with the fact that Jesus, he can't be a legend because legends take hundreds of years to form. In fact, you can't make up a legend when people are still alive in that time frame. See, just to give you an example of what I'm saying here, let's say that I claim 20 years ago I died, and then three days later, like you had the funeral for me, you cried a lot, you were very upset, people came from all over the country, and for three days you mourned, and then I say I rose from the dead, and here I am today. Well, there's a lot of you that knew me 20 years ago. And you would say, you're full of beans. <laughs> Am I right? I can't, I can't establish a legend about Matt Trombley rose from the dead when you're still alive. Paul points out in 1 Corinthians fifteen six, there Jesus appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. You can't. He can't be a legend. It's impossible. The New Testament was written too soon after. So it's not a legend. Second, the genre of writing fiction wasn't even invented yet. So when you see all of this detail in the New Testament, that's not fiction. C.S. Lewis, Francine Rivers, John Bunyan, these classic writers that write fiction or wrote fiction, that wasn't even invented yet. So what we have here is historical narrative. It's history. It's what happened. And the last reason Tim Keller mentions is that appearing to women, Jesus appearing to women, was totally counterproductive. He wouldn't do that. If the disciples were trying to put on a hoax, if they were pretending that Jesus is still alive, they would not write down, Jesus appeared to women. But they did write it, because he did appear to women. And that's why you can trust the New Testament. Three simple reasons. We can see clearly in this text, or in these verses, that Jesus honored women. He submitted to his mother. He valued all women, even if they were outcast. He restored women to their rightful standing. And when you read in the New Testament, because I encourage you to read your Bibles all the time, and when you read the New Testament and you come across a verse in 1 Timothy 2 and you say, geez, Paul, you're kind of hard on the ladies here. What's up with that? Peter did the same thing. But what you need to understand is the context and the culture. He wasn't being demeaning. He was actually giving them uh, so much grace. He was saying, Paul, Paul said to women, you should learn. When society and culture said, no. You don't need to learn. Paul said you should learn. Paul said women should dress modestly so men could see their heart before they see their cleavage. Think about that today. Paul always praised the women who served faithfully. I tell you, read Romans 16, the last chapter to this letter to the church in Rome. The first four of six people he mentions are women. Women that serve faithfully. Paul starts with Phoebe, who was like a deacon, and Priscilla, and Mary, and Junia, and Persis, and Rufus's mother, who was like a mother to Paul. He praises these women for their faithfulness. Clearly, women were valued equally in God's church. They served in multiple roles. They were honored. They were celebrated. They were honored. And sometimes we just need those reminders that we are not better than others that we should honor women. And especially today, it's easy. We honor our mothers. It's a reminder. But every day, we read the Word, we see. Christians honor women equally. As our band comes up to play this final song, I want to offer an invitation to all of you on behalf of all of the mothers. And I know I can speak on behalf of all the mothers, because what about, I'm about to say is what they truly want. I've heard moms say over and over and over again, what do you want for your children? You want them to be safe. You want them to be happy. Right? Those are the things that moms want for their children. You want them to be safe. You want them to be happy. It doesn't matter if your baby is 2 or 10 or 20 or almost 50. You're still your mama's baby. Am I right? That's right. And you want them to be safe, and you want them to be secure, and you want them to be happy. And if you are a Christian mother, then you know to be safe and secure and happy is to be saved by the blood of Jesus, is to be a Christian born again by the Holy Spirit, adopted into God's family. So on behalf of all moms who want to see their children in heaven, I would encourage you to take this time in the service very seriously. If you'd like to be forgiven for every mistake that you've ever made, if you want all of God's blessings now and forever, if you want to make sure you're going to heaven, then all you need to do is admit you're a sinner, believe Jesus died for you, and confess Him as your Lord and Savior. And you can do that right where you're sitting. All you have to do is Close your eyes and talk to God. You could pray something as simple as, God, I know I'm I'm, I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. I know Jesus was perfect. He died for me. I want to be forgiven. I want to spend forever with you in heaven. And as we sing this last song, I encourage you, pray where you are. And if you want to come forward and, and kneel down at these steps or just bow your head up here, as you gaze at the cross, you can pray right here. This is a time, though, that I encourage you to pray and talk to God. And if maybe you've gotten off track, maybe you say, yeah, I'm, I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm safe and secure. I know where I'm going. But I've gotten off track. And you want to recommit your life. You can do that today. And you should do that, not just for you, but for your mom. And for your Lord and Savior. <laughs> It's the only way you're going to be truly safe, secure, and happy. And that's what Mama wants on Mother's Day. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray for all those today that will commit their lives to you, surrender to you, God. As we sing this song, Father, may many commit, recommit, speak to you. May they surrender it all. May they choose you, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.